God, give him a round of applause tonight. Amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Um, my name is Johnny Kovar. Pastor Jeff is uh, just taking a, a break tonight. He's preparing for uh, his message Sunday, and next week he's going to start a series on really taking a deep dive into the Bible and knowing the Bible as Christians. And I'm really excited about it because I don't know about y'all, but I love reading God's Word. God's Word changed my life more than anything else on this planet has changed my life. And I enjoy getting in it. I can't wait to get in it. I read it every morning before I get out of bed. I read it every day at work. And I read it at night with Jamie before we go to bed. It's a part of our daily routine. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. There's nothing like it. So let's pray and then we will uh, get into it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. Lord Jesus, we just lift up your name and glorify you. I pray that you're glorified with every word that is said tonight. I pray you speak through me, Lord, and every word I say is your words and not my own. We love and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, we have great ministries in this church. On Monday night, uh, Man Church meets at 7 o'clock. Mon- this Monday will be down here. So that's very exciting because that's where this ministry started. Now we're upstairs, but this is always home for Man Church. We're having venison. And uh, I'll be preaching this Monday, so come in, come on out. It's going to be really, really, really great. The venison's going to be actually cooked here, so it's not frozen. It's, it's going to be really good. So and then women have heels that meet here as well. So there's really no excuse to not come. Give me an excuse, and I'll destroy it, I promise. <laughs> Just like reading the Bible, right? There's no excuse to not read the Bible. Give me your excuses for reading the Bible, and I'll, I'll destroy them, because there's not one, unless you're like an ICU or something. But anyway, it's a great honor to be here tonight. It's a privilege. Thank you, Pastor Jeff, for letting me do this, and um, I'm very honored and humbled. So if you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. As I was reading this, this, the second part of this verse actually jumped out at me. The first part we all know, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, this is the part where I want to pay attention to. Bringing every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. That, that last part just jumped out at me as I'm like, wow, am I taking my thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ? And the answer was no. So tonight, we want to, I want to go over this. Now, we all know we're in a spiritual war. It's a real spiritual war. There is an entire dimension that we are not privy to. Angels and demons, like Pastor Jeff talked about in Revelation. Right now, at the Euphrates River, there are two mighty angels guarding it, waiting for the signal from Christ to dry it up so the armies can march over it. Right now, on this planet, now we can't see that because it's in literally another dimension that we are not privy to as humans. But it exists. We have to believe it exists because the Bible says over and over we are in spiritual warfare. The mind is the battleground of spiritual warfare. We must know this. Um, I want to define captivity, though. The Greek word used here for captivity, now my Greek is a little off pronunciation-wise, so so bear with me. Akimitso, it's a verb meaning to lead away captive. The condition of being imprisoned or confined. That's to lead away captive, right? It's the same word used in Romans 7.23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin 
is in my members. If we don't take our thoughts captive, our thoughts will take us captive. We must take them immediately into captivity, not just every captivity, the obedience of Christ. Whatever Christ said, we must do. So when we take our thoughts captive, we don't do the action our thoughts tell us to, right? If a sinful thought comes into our mind, that sinful thought is not necessarily sinful until the action is done. If we take that thought captive and say, wait, that's a sinful thought, Lord. I'm not going to do that. Then that is taking the thought captive. An example is a person in prison or an animal in a zoo, right? That thought is now quarantined where it can't get out anymore and it must be executed instantly because if it lingers, it'll find a way to get out and then that thought will eventually lead to sin. It will grow and grow and grow and every sin started with a thought. Think about that. The action of every sin started with a thought in someone's mind. But the, the war we are in is real. We must do the same thing with our thoughts. When the thought comes in, we must immediately examine it through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit convict us of our sin if it's a sinful thought, and then get rid of it and not do it. We must remember what we put in our eyes and our ears will come out our mouth or our actions. Garbage in, garbage out, right? And now I might step on some toes here, and if I step on some toes tonight, I hope I break every toe you have, by the way. So... With, you know, with, with Halloween quickly approaching, every year, we, we, scary movies come on and all that stuff about demons, and every bit of that is of the occult. I'll tell you right now, you shouldn't be watching those movies. Those are movies about demons, and they do not glorify Christ in any way. In fact, it's the opposite of that, because those movies are there to make you think about demons, and it, it's occultish. So... I would say have no part in any of those scary movies they put on Halloween. Definitely don't show your kids because those are into the, how they get into the mind of kids. And they have nightmares. Luckily, my parents didn't let us watch many growing up. That's my mom over there, by the way. Hi, Mom. Um, amen. Uh, they didn't let us watch those, those movies as kids, and I thank God for that because I don't, I don't even like them now, really. Um, but that's how you protect your children from this world, this spiritual warfare, because it's real. We must take it away captive instantly, every thought that comes into our mind. Captivity means the thought is not released. It's literally your prisoner. It's locked away. Now, the same thought can come over and over into your mind, right? But you must treat that thought the exact same way every time and take it captive and then get rid of the thought. It must never lead to action. But many times it does. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. Our minds must be blood-soaked with Jesus' shed blood. It must be. If there's anything else filling your mind besides the Word of God, the world will try to change your mind into certain things. I just, um, while well, I re-enrolled in college, and I just finished my first class, which was a sociology class, and the whole, oh, thanks. That guy, give that guy something right here. Uh, um, but the whole time during this class, they're trying to tell me how great Karl Marx is. And I'll just tell you right now, Karl Marx was not a good person. Communism has never succeeded anywhere on the planet. It, it never has. Socialism, you know, well, I'm not, I'm not going down that hole, but I'm just telling you, they're trying to change your mind, is what I'm saying. The world is constantly trying to change your mind 
to develop it to what it wants you to believe and think. We must renew our minds every day by God's word. Every day we must be in God's word. That's part of all of our minds. Is the, Only the Bible can transform your mind to be an acceptable mind to God. That's the only thing. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. Christianity is a process, right? We don't immediately give up all of our sins overnight, but we're convicted and we change slowly because we want to change who we are as a Christian. So we must take those thoughts captive because it's much easier to take it captive than to let it grow into sin and then stop that sin, right? So the earlier you can intervene in those thoughts, the easier it's going to be in the long term. Trust me, I promise I've been there. So all of our minds means not being drunk, means not doing any illicit drugs that are not prescribed to you. They will all affect your mind. I'll just say right now, there is no reason for a Christian to drink alcohol. There's just not. You give me your excuse and I'll destroy that too. There, there, there's just not. Uh, 1 Peter 1.13, 1 Thessalonians 5.6, 5.8, Titus 2.2 2 and 2.6. Every one of them says to be sober-minded. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a glass of wine once a year for, with supper, all right? But you get my point. There's no reason for a Christian to get drunk or drink really any alcohol at all. There's just not. Genesis 4-7. I love this. This is God speaking. This is, remember, the God of the Old Testament is our God today. That is the same God. Now, this is God speaking, okay? If you do well... Now, he's speaking to Cain here. If you do well will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, now pay attention to this, sin lies at the door. Okay? And its desire is for you. Now put you, your name where it says you. Sin's desire is for every single one of us to destroy us. That's what Satan wants to do, is destroy our testimonies and destroy, because he can't take your soul if you're a Christian. Right? You're blood soaked, you're bought with the blood of Christ, you're going to heaven. He can't stop that. But what he can do is stop your testimony. Now listen to this. But you should rule over it. God of the universe is saying sin's desire is for you. He's preparing you right now for this. Sin's desire is for you. But you should rule over it. That means we have the power through Christ over our sin. Now we must take that power, okay? And we must use that power, but... You should rule over it. That is God Almighty telling us that we can rule the sin that we think dominates our life. It doesn't matter what it is. Jesus can break any chain that he has that you, you think you have wrapped around yourself. It can be broken. Now, many times we pray, confess our sins, he forgives us, and that chain is shattered. Right? And what, what do we do? We pick it up and weld it back together. And then we get in it again. And then we ask him to do that. When we do that, we have to move out of that sin and walk the narrow road that Christ, the only one to get to heaven is through Christ. Our sinful thoughts must be taken captive immediately. Nothing else, not our own captivity, into the obedience of Christ. Again, we must pay attention to that last part. Not our own obedience. The obedience of Christ alone is where our thoughts must go because our thoughts must belong to him. Our minds must belong to him. We must read the Bible every day. Again, there's no excuse to not read the Bible. If you're a Christian and you're not reading the Bible, you're like a car sitting on the street with no gas in it. Amen. 
what, is the, what good is a car that you are paying for every month sitting in your driveway with no gas in it? it it's useless, right? Just saying. If you're a Christian and you're not reading God's Word, God can't use you. Just saying. So read your Bibles, people. There's no excuse to not read that Bible. If you can't give God a chapter a day, then we need to talk after this service because you're, something's not right. Just saying, one chapter. If you're not reading the Bible, go tonight and read John chapter 1. And tell me what it says tomorrow. So, okay, Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Uh, some of y'all might not know me, but I am the chiefest among sinners. I will just say that. And I had no peace in my life for a long, long, long time until I completely, really, fully submitted my life to Christ. I've never had as much peace in my life than I have right now. And there's nothing on this planet that I would give that up for. Amen. Nothing. Because God's peace surpasses all understanding. And I've, I've been, mom, mom calls it the far country. But that's where I was. I, I am the prodigal son. Like I said, I am. I, I was saved as a teenager. I went off and God brought me back. Thank him, I thank him every day for that. But, amen. And, amen. All glory to God. But we must be a person who controls our mind because that is the doorway to who you are, is your mind. Our thoughts in and of themselves cannot, are not necessarily wrong, again, unless Jesus, the only time he said that was about adultery, right? But our actions will always lead to sin or the opposite of sin, which is serving the Lord. But if we keep having the same sinful thought, no naked captive, it will lead to sin. That is Satan's strategy. He brings in the turmoil because he attacks your mind. The primary means of his destruction that he causes us is our mind. Very few Christians, I believe, realize the fact that Satan absolutely, 100%, hates you. Absolutely hates you. I was, I was at work the other day, and I actually heard someone say, Satan is my friend. I heard those words, and, and nothing could be further from the truth because he wants nothing good for you. He's never created anything. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. God wants to love you and cherish you and do nothing but bless you. Now, again, not all blessings are on the earth, okay? The greatest thing you could do is to lay your crowns at the feet of Christ. That's the true blessing that we will get. But spending our alone time with the Lord, praying and communicating with him, is the first step. Now, man, listen to me. That's how we lead our family spiritually, okay? We are the leaders of the household. That's how God ordained it. Women, don't get mad at me. It's just what God said, not me. But that, I believe that's the problem with America and the world today, is that role of manhood has been forsaken by men. And there's no spiritual leadership in the home from the man anymore. That's what we're trying to fix in man church, so y'all come on. Uh, we must lead our family spiritually because you can't give what you don't have. That's why we have to fill our, word, our mind every day with the Word of God. We must pray to God. Now, praying is not lecturing God on what you want. Right? Praying is communicating with God Almighty, who created every single one of us, who loves us more than we could ever understand. And communi- part of communication is listening. Right? God will communicate in many different ways. And if you're not receptive to what he's telling you, then you're not communicating with God. Because the biggest part of communication is not talking, is, is listening. 
But when we talk to God, I believe the two most common said words are thank you and praise you. And if we're not doing that, we need to fix our prayer life. Because that's, that's how we tell God how much we love him, is our praise to the Lord. And then our actions by doing what he tells us to do. So we all have a common enemy here, every one of us. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks, now it's talking about all of manhood, not just men. As a man thinks, so he is. If you think you're defeated by Satan, then guess what? Well, that's probably true. But if you think that you are an co-heir with Christ to the kingdom of heaven, then that's what you are. And that's what we must be in our minds, right? So I want to ask you a question. Where do your thoughts go when you're alone? Where, where do your thoughts dwell? Do they dwell on things above? Or do they dwell with the stresses of life on earth? Because the stresses of life on earth can choke out the word of God. Read the parable of the sower, which is what I'll be talking about Monday. Because they can, trust me. Every single one of those four in the parable of the sower, I have been in in my life. And probably if you're honest with you, you have too. I want to be the last one. The good ground. I don't want to be the stony ground. I don't want to be anything else but the good ground. That's where God, only God can use you is in the good ground. That's where your roots are going to grow. They're going to grow deep. So when those storms come, your roots are deep and you're rooted in the word of Christ. That's where we have to be. So sometimes, you know, sex is everywhere in this world today. You can't go anywhere. You can't watch a show without some sexual thing being there. It's just shoved down our throats. We have to be very careful with this. You know, a, a meaningless flirtatious comment here or there can lead to adultery on down the road. We must take these thoughts captive. Sometimes we justify our sin. We must never justify sin. We must recognize sin and destroy it. Again, I'm the prodigal son. I am speaking to myself here. But the Bible deals a lot with sin, especially sexual sin, Acts 15:20. But that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual morality, from things strangled, and from blood. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Talks a lot about it, doesn't it? Now, the Greek word used here for to flee is fuego, which means to seek safety by flight and to escape out of danger. Now, if we took that and thought of sin as dangerous and we ran away from it as if there's a giant bear over here about to attack you, then we wouldn't have a problem with sin, would we? If we truly understood what that meant. It means to flee, to run away as you're in danger Think of sin as literally dangerous to your life. And when I read that, I'm like, wow, I never even thought of it that way. But when we look at sin as literally dangerous to who we are as a Christian, and that's exactly what it is, we'll flee from it. So flee. Now, the Greek word for sexual morality is pornea. It's where we get the word pornography from, which means any illicit sexual intercourse outside of marriage. Uh, premarital sex, homosexuality, all of that, adultery. You know, we talk about homosexuality a lot, but I guarantee you it is adultery and premarital sex is much more prolific in the church than homosexuality. We don't talk about that a lot, but it is. And it's all wrong. We must repent from it 
recognize it, confess it, ask for forgiveness, and then repent. And when someone does that, we can't say, oh my gosh, look what they did. When someone repents, the angels in heaven rejoice, people, and so should we with them. We should not condemn them. We should thank them that they're repenting. And we should rejoice with them. But I believe people are afraid to repent because they're afraid. Amen. People are afraid to repent because they're afraid they're going to be judged by us, the Christians, the ones that shouldn't be the judges. Because you're going to be judged however you judge someone else. If someone comes to the altar and repents, we should be thanking God and praising God and asking them how we can help them stay away from the sin that they're repenting from. Usually we don't do that. But every thought, if we take it into captivity immediately, won't lead to that sin. That's what I'm trying to get to here. Don't let it grow. Whatever it is, grasp it and kill it instantly. Because sin is all around us. When this happens to me, I immediately begin to pray. Lord, take, take me out of temptation, right? Take these sinful thoughts out of my mind. Whatever I need to do, just get them out of here. What If I need to stop doing something, it doesn't matter. We must take our thoughts into his obedience. That's exactly where I want my life to be. As I read the Old Testament sometimes, it, it, it pains me to see how many times God said that Israel has sinned. It, it, it hurts me. And so many times, especially in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, he says, so they will know that I am the Lord. That's all he wants is for them to know that I am the Lord. You know, when, when he says Israel played the harlot, it breaks my heart. Because he's comparing Israel, his bride, right, which is us today, that has cheated on him as a spouse would cheat on someone. And that's heartbreaking. It is. But we must understand that. And that's why we must read the Bible every day, understand who God is, because he's revealing himself to us. He wants to love us so much. He does love us. All we have to do is submit our lives to him. And if you're a Christian, you must live by the word of God. I'm not making any of this up. Call me whatever you want to say. That's what the Bible says. Right? Read the word of God. The world wants to call you a bigot or a homophobe if you speak against homosexuality. Well, if the Bible says it, I believe it. I don't have to understand it. There are certain things in the Bible I don't understand. Right? But I believe it. And that's all that matters. I stand under the foundation of God in my life. The word of God is my foundation. And I will preach it until the day that I die. If it says it's wrong, it's wrong. Now, we must tell them this out of love. We must never do this to condemn them or make them feel bad. But we must tell them the truth. Because the truth will set them free. Set them free from the sin they're bound in. Right? So I heard an argument the other day. Uh, Someone asked if uh, Jesus ever spoke against homosexuality. And the answer was, well, no, not directly. I mean, of course, he said a marriage between a man and a woman. But read Romans 1 and see what you come up with. I'm just saying. Well, then the person said, well, you believe in what Paul said, not Jesus. They called a Paulian. And I'm like, well, I believe that the word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And whatever is in there is God's word breathed out. And amen. And that word is Christ because Christ is God. Right. So I believe what the Bible says. And they couldn't understand that. And I'm like, I, I, I don't want to tell you. Just read it and see what you come up with on your own. But 
Amen. So my favorite verse in all the scriptures is John 14, 6. The whole gospel is wrapped up in this verse. And it really comes from um, uh, Thomas, who I believe we can all relate to. Because when Jesus was saying, I go to prepare mansions for you, Thomas like, what in the world is he talking about? Right? And I think that could have been any of us. When he's in there talking about that, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but he said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the key word here is the word the. It's a definitive article, meaning that's it. There's no other way. This is it. Uh, it's the antithesis of what Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians 2.11 when he talks about Antichrist is the lie. Well, if Antichrist is the lie, then Christ is the truth because all Satan can do is counterfeit Christ. There's nothing else he can do. He can't create anything. So like I said, we must talk what the Bible says. We must live what the Bible says, no matter what it says, on adultery, on homosexuality, on marriage, on everything. We must do it out of love. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed by this world or to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that what you may prove what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So again, that, that last part is the key here because the, what is good and perfect or good and acceptable, perfect will of God, that means that God's word is that. That's how he's revealing his will to us through his word. Again, the world is constantly trying to change our minds or renew our minds to what it wants us to say. It's constantly taking Christ out of everything. Science tries to disprove God, but God made science, so science will only prove God. You know, I I love history, and now they don't say B.C. anymore. They say B.C.E. is what the scientists try to tell you. What that stands for is before common era. What in the world is the common era? Because they don't say A.D. anymore. They say common era. They say C.E. for today's world. Well, A.D. is um, Anno Donai, which means the year of our Lord. It's Latin. And, but they're trying to take Christ even out of that. Right? They want to tell you the world is billions and billions of years old. I personally don't believe that. I just don't. I don't believe in evolution. I believe in creation. I don't believe that, you know, look at, look at the, just any human. You can't, well, okay. Got to stay on my notes here. Going to stay on the notes. But we must renew our minds, okay? If you believe the world is 14 billion years old, as long as you believe Christ is king, died for you, okay. I don't believe that, but it doesn't matter. So I want to really take a look here at Colossians chapter 3. This is one of the best. I love Colossians so much, and especially chapter 3. It's really how to live our life. Uh, Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not the things of the earth. Because the things of the earth will just stress you out, I promise. Therefore, Verse 5, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, that's the word pornea again. Uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry is all of this, all of this stuff is put, putting something before God. Anything before God is an idol, right? I'll be honest, the, the Dallas Cowboys for a long time were my idol. I'd put them before the Lord. I would be in church checking the scores 
or, you know, I would. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. And I would care more about that than what the preacher's preaching on Sunday. You can ask my mom. I had my room was nothing but Dallas Cowboy this and that. Now, I was a fan back when they were winning a lot, so it was a lot easier. Um, but I digress. But anyway, we can't have anything before Christ. Nothing can come before God. Nothing. Not even your family. Think about that for a minute. You hear people all the time saying to their kids, this is my world. That's not your world. Christ is your world. This is something he gave you. Amen. Now we're going to jump to verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Now listen to this. This verse changed my life. Verse 8. But now you yourself are to put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Filthy language out of your mouth. If you're talking filthy, if you're cussing, and you're talking dirty, nope. The Bible says right here, filthy language out of your mouth, you're to put off. Not to talk that way. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and now put on the new man. Right? The new man is soaked in the blood of Christ. The new man has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him. The new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him, God, capital H, who created him, capital lowercase. So God created him. God created you. You have to believe you were created by God, not through evolution. I mean, evolution just doesn't make any sense. If you really look at it, the primordial ooze, okay, this single soul organism crawled out of it and all life came from that. I mean, come on. It just doesn't make any sense. Okay. Ver- sorry. Verse 16. Now this one is really, really, really good. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Richly in wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts the word of the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not a little bit. Richly means abundantly, overflowing. The word of Christ is the Bible, right? Must let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That means when a crisis is coming, are you going to let scripture come out of you or are you going to let something else come out of you? No matter what it is, when the word of Christ dwells in us richly, Our mind is soaked with the word of God. We must never forget that. Richly in wisdom, right? The wisdom of Christ, the wisdom of the Bible. So whatever you struggle with, ask God to help you with it. But when the thoughts come and go, what do you do about them? Are you taking them captive or are you letting them control you? And then you act upon them. Now Again, this doesn't happen overnight. But if you can take one thought captive today, two thoughts captive tomorrow, you know, you take one step, one step. Might not seem like you're going a long way, but in 10 years, you've gone 10 miles. Then you look back, my goodness, that was the old me. That's what I do. I look back and I don't even care about the things that I used to care about. The thing, amen. The things that used to control me, the desires of this world, I chased after every desire this world had. And none of it could fulfill me because it was lusting after it. Whenever you lust after something, anything, lust will never, ever, ever fill you. It can't fill you. Because when you get what you're lusting after, then you just want more of it. And it can never fill you. So lust is sinful. Any lust. Lust is just not sexual. Lust is anything that you're putting before God, like an idol. Lust if you're after a car, a house, money, a job, a title, anything. Selfish ambition will destroy you. You must never have selfish ambition in, in Christ. 
Remember, God is faithful. We must play our part. We must confess our sins, our sinful thoughts. We must recognize sin as sin. Our past sins we can think about sometimes because you never forget where you came from, right? Don't redo those sins or think about them, but they're a part of your past, and it's a part of your testimony. So when you you confess that and you tell someone, this is where I was, here I am now, what Christ did through me, because a testimony should always give glory to Christ. If it doesn't, it's not a testimony. It's a euimony. I just made that up. So, Because when, when we're doing that to ourselves, we're giving ourselves glory. It's what Christ did in you, not what you did for yourself. But to have this, we must have self-control. It always boils down to self-control. And do you have self-control or do you not? It's literally a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.23. We must have self-control. Self-control doesn't happen on its own or happen overnight. It takes practice. But it's something we must work hard for. And the Lord said, if you seek me, you will find me. So if you seek that self-control, you'll be more self-controlled today than you were yesterday. And tomorrow you'll be even more self-control. Self-control is not being discouraged when you fail once. It's not, because we're going to fail. As a human being, at some point you're going to fail something. That's not discouraged. We must continue to live our life for Christ. And it's okay to fail. When you fail, do you pick yourself up or do you stay down? We must pick ourselves up, remind us who we are in Christ, and keep moving forward. We must never stay still. But in essence, learning self-control is perhaps the most difficult of the fruit to attain. But through God's Holy Spirit, we can have it. And self-control refers to the inner impulses of who you are. The emotions, desires, exhibiting self-government was a good definition I found of self-control. You must govern yourself. And when you do that, everything becomes easier. It's so much easier to not sin when you have that self-control. Self-control follows knowledge of the list of virtues, indicating we need to act on godly knowledge, practicing it in perpetuity. Holiness makes self-control possible, and the holy person is self-controlled. Our other thoughts can take us captive is worry, and the Bible speaks about this as well. Uh, Luke 12, 29 says, Do not have an anxious mind. Luke eight fourteen. Now the ones that fell among, this is the parable of the sower, the end of it, or the middle of it, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. The cares of this world can literally choke you out so much that you just give up on the Lord and you're doing everything that you want to do. But we must always be self-controlled, always. Self-control is very important. But the desires of this world can choke you out, so don't let it. Whenever you're stressed, I always go to Philippians 4. It's a very famous verse. We all know it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It didn't say rejoice in the Lord when things are going good. Rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what you're going through, no matter what storm or crisis you may be going through right now in your life. It may be in your home, it may be financial, it may be at your job. It doesn't matter what it is. We can always rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he says again, again, I say rejoice. So when you're struggling with something, I want to challenge each one of you tomorrow, tonight even, take a minute out of every hour, just one minute out of every hour, and stop what you're doing and just praise God. 
and rejoice in who he is. Just one minute out of every hour, an insignificant amount of time. Put a timer on your watch or your phone or something. And just once an hour, stop. And just for one minute out of every hour, praise God. And your day will get better, I promise. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. That should make you feel really good. Makes me feel good. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I love this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. That's how you guard your heart and your mind. Rejoicing in the Lord, it says it right here, rejoicing in the Lord will guard your heart and your mind. We must do that. Now, there's a big difference between worry and concern. Concern focuses on probable events and takes action. Worry focuses on improbable events and nothing productive comes out of it. Every time I'm really worried about something, usually I'm worried about the worst case scenario. And that usually never happens. But you can, it's okay to be concerned about something to plan for the future, right? There's a difference there. But worry and anxiousness are synonymous, and Jesus spoke on the subject. And we've all struggled with it at some point in our lives, I'm sure. But we must take that thought as well captive into the obedience of Christ. We must submit our thought life to God, and we must align our thoughts with his word and his commandments. I love what the New Living Translation says about Philippians 4, 8, and 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I don't know about you, but I can think of something excellent and worthy of praise, and his name is Jesus Christ. Keep put, amen. Keep putting into practice all you learn and receive from me. What Paul is saying here is Christians are to not to just sit on the sidelines all the time and do nothing. Put into practice what you learned. That means to do the word of God, do the work from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. There's only peace found in Christ Jesus, I promise. Because you cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Can't do that. I live that life too. Doesn't work. Only struggle, only you just can't do it, I promise. There's only peace when you're fully living for Christ. That's it. That's why we must take our thoughts captive. So just a couple of things I want to go over real quick. I love in the Old Testament the story of Abraham and Isaac when he's going to kill Isaac. All God did is said, hey, Abraham. And what did Abraham say? He said three words. He said, here I am. Now, he had no idea what he was about to say. Hey, Abraham, here I am, Lord. Take, take Isaac and kill him. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what happened. And he was obedient enough to walk Isaac up, up there, build an altar, and Isaac's like, where's the, where's the sacrifice, Dad? And I'm sure with tears streaming down his face, he said, God will provide, son. And then Isaac is laying down, strapped to that altar, and the Bible says that Abraham had his coming down with that knife, and, G, and I believe Jesus Christ said, don't touch him. And then there was a lamb in the thickets. That's the kind of obedience I want to be at. Where no matter what God says, he says, hey, Johnny. And I just say, here I am, Lord. doesn't matter what comes afterwards. That's what Abraham was doing. 
He had no idea what God was about to say, but he said, here I am. That's the kind of faith and obedience that, that I want to have in my life, and I hope that's the kind of faith and obedience that you want to have in your life. And so many of the prophets said, here I am, Lord. Right? Moses said it. Samuel said it. Isaiah said it. Just here I am. Did not know what was coming after that. So I want to challenge you. Will you do that with me tonight? Will you literally say, God, here I am. Send me. Whatever, whatever comes after that, it doesn't matter. Because that's what God is calling you to do. I read these verses all the time in my life. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6 says, Examine yourself. Test yourself. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's anything wicked in me. Will you repeat that prayer with me tonight? Will you really? And mean it? My favorite is Psalm 26 too. Stand with me. This, 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 this is a prayer. And if you really mean this and will pray this, your life will not be the same. Now I want to go over this real quick before we pray it. It says, examine me. You're talking to God Almighty, who already knows everything about you. Every single thing you've ever done, he already knows it. But you're asking him to examine you. Why are you doing that? Why are you asking God to examine your life? You're asking God to examine your life. But the Hebrew word is baham, which means to scrutinize your life. You're literally asking God to scrutinize your life to see if you're living right for him, if there's any sin that you might have in your life. That's not easy to do. Because if you ask God to expose the sin in your life, guess what he's going to do? He's going to expose the sin in your life. And I'm talking to myself too. And then what's the next one? Oh, Lord, and, and prove me. Now, you might ask, what, what does the word prove mean? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It's the Hebrew word nasa, which means to test me. Now, God will never, ever, ever tempt you, but God will test you, faith. So now, prove me, you're asking God to test your faith. Okay, so examine me, God. Scrutinize my life. What sin is in my life that needs to be exposed? Now, I'm not saying it needs to be exposed here. I'm talking about in your minds, in your thought life. Okay, whatever sin is coming up, you need to confess it to him and then repent from it. So you're literally asking God to scrutinize you. And then you're asking God to test you. And the third one is try my mind and my heart. Now, the word try is Hebrew. It's sarap, which means to refine you as gold is refined. How is gold refined? I'm glad you asked. So gold is put in the furnace and the impurities will come up and then someone will strip those impurities away. The picture is us. We pray this prayer and mean it. Sin comes up. We confess it and repent from it and God scrapes it away. And then you're refined as gold is refined. Now, this is powerful stuff. Now, I'm telling you, I prayed this prayer a long time ago and God expected God to use me in ways that he's used me. I never expected in a trillion years I would be standing before you preaching. Trust me. But God did, because I submitted my life fully to God. So if you will pray this prayer knowing fully what it means, God will use you in a way you cannot understand or, or don't even know yet. So again, examine me, scrutinize me, prove me, test me. Asking God to test your faith is a big thing, because he's going to test your faith. My faith was tested earlier this year, and I failed. 
I did. He tested me again, and I passed. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but, but I did. So this is a constant thing. I, pray this, I read this all the time, and I pray this all the time. Because it's important for us to constantly be scrutinized, constantly be tested, and constantly be refined. Because we're all sinners, right? No one here is above anyone else. Equal in God's eyes. We're all sinners. So when we're all sinners, we must confess our sins. And when we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us and to cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And how far is that? It's infinite. You know, you can walk east for the rest of your life and never walk west. Think about that. That's how far he cast our sin from us. So if you'll pray this prayer with me tonight, and truly whatever comes up, because we don't like confessing our sins. God knows them. But no one likes to actually confess our sins, right? But when we're asking God to do this, this to me is one of the most powerful prayers we can pray today besides the prayer of salvation. Because we're asking God for repentance. Without, okay, so there's no salvation without conviction first. We should not be afraid to be convicted. Conviction is a wonderful, great thing. If you were never convicted, you wouldn't be saved. Think about that. Usually, when you're convicted, there's, don't argue with the Lord. The Holy Spirit's convicted you, you are guilty. Amen. There's no attorneys, there's nothing else. You did it, and I did it, and that's what we must do. So let's pray this prayer together. He's going to play a song, and, and let, let's just pray this together. If I could get some prayers up here, that'd be great. If you didn't need prayer, y'all just come down here and, and grab on somebody. But just let's all bow our heads right now and just, just pray this prayer, if you will. It's not an easy prayer. But if you will step forward in faith and boldness and pray this prayer with me, I promise you, you're going to be convicted because you're asking God to convict you. But it's a great thing. Don't be afraid of conviction. So let's just pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask you right now, Lord, to examine and scrutinize my life. Everything in my life I submit to you. Oh, Lord, I ask you to prove me. Lord, I ask you, I want you to test my faith. I want to see where I am. Test me, Lord. And try me, Lord. Try my heart and my mind. That is everything that I have. Refine me, Lord, as gold is refined. Smelt me, Lord. In everything right now, I submit unto you in your will. Lord, I thank you for convicting me. I thank you for saving my soul, Lord. Lord Jesus, I look to you for everything that I have. I put all of my faith, my trust, and my hope in you and you only. In Jesus' name, amen.